evidence and answers. Our fear of death is the greatest driving force in our lifetime. Everyone is on a quest for immortality and live on eternally. How do we attempt to attain immortality? Can we even overcome our fear of death? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with our host, Pat Zucharin. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. On our broadcast today, Pat and his guest, Dr. Clay Jones, will conclude their interview discussing man's greatest fear and the quest for immortality. Here's the thing, too, and I just encourage your listeners to think this through. That I've asked my classes, you know, I've been studying, teaching on this kind of stuff for years. I've asked my classes for many years. I've said, how many of you know, raise your hands, the first names of your great-great-grandparents? Now, I've asked a lot of different classes that question, and I think total, total, uh, not just in one class, but all together, I don't think there's been more than three students in every cl- in all the classes I've asked totally where I said, do you know the first names of your great-great-grandparents? Nobody knows. And then I asked this follow-up question, do you care? Nobody cares. I haven't had one student, no, it's really important to me. Nobody cares. They don't care. Now, interesting, since you broadcast in the Philippines, in the East, a lot of people practice ancestor veneration and ancestor worship. But see, that's an immortality project. In other words, if my ancestors, you know, if I remember my ancestors, then my kids are going to have to remember me. See, but that's another, there's a symbolic immortality project that I'm going to go on and be remembered by my ancestors. You know, genealogy research is I'm going to remember my ancestors and then my kids will remember, my ancestors will remember me. So children doing something great, you know, building a building, you know, making a bridge, writing a book, um, you know, I mean, inventing this or that or the other thing, those are symbolic immortality projects too. Social activism, I'm going to go out and march for this or march for that and care sense. What are you hoping? You're hoping to change the world so that when you leave this world, you can say the world is better and it's because of me, at least partially. See, that's a symbolic immortality project. And by the way, that's why when you challenge their symbolic immortality project, they get so mad because you're challenging how they're going to live forever. And nobody, people don't like that. How dare you threaten my immortality project, my symbolic immortality project of trying to save the whales or save the environment uh, or whatever. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing with uh, wrong of itself working and save the whales or save the environment, whatever. But I'm just saying, but uh, for most people, that's the way they're going to live forever is by doing these wonderful things that are going to transcend my poor paltry life here. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure a lot of people think of it that way. You know, they say, well, I'm trying to save the whales or fight for human rights or, you know, that's my purpose in life to leave behind, you know, a better world. But ultimately, I mean, ultimately, why doesn't that work? Well, yeah, it does. Well, in fact, I was talking to this guy outside Whole Foods one day and said, you know, you realize that the entire universe is going to go to absolute zero, which is like 375 degrees below Fahrenheit. You could tap a whale with, if you made a small tap on a whale, you'd shatter into a million pieces. Uh, And he agreed. 
first of all, just from a pure logical standpoint, you're not going to be able to live forever because in any way, any symbolic way. Why? Because if there is no God, the entire universe, first of all, our sun is going to supernova and it's going to burn our planet to a crisp. <laughs> that's, that's a problem. But then after all the all of the stars burn out, the universe just goes to absolute zero, and it's just a bunch of debris. And, and so there's nothing, you know, there's, it can't work in that sense. It can't live on. But not only that, people really don't remember. There's very few symbolic immortality projects that anybody really remembers, and people's heart of hearts know that. I talk about an actress in my book named Hedy Lamar. Not only, I'm I'm 64, but I'd never seen a movie that I know of with Hedy Lamarr in it because she was really as an actress before my time. But she was considered the most beautiful woman in the world. She was in lots of movies, uh, really well thought of. Nobody knows who Hedy Lamarr is, very few people anyway, and they don't care. This really doesn't, nobody cares. You, yeah, you could become a footnote to history for a while until the, the universe you know, gets to absolute zero, you could become a footnote to history in some way. Uh, I think it's interesting, by the way, people have tried to be famous. The average person, the average celebrity, sports star, movie star, whatever, dies 13 and a half years younger than the average population. Mm. Men, male celebrities, die eight and a half years younger. But listen to this. Female celebrities die a whopping 22 and a half years younger than the wow. average average population. Yeah, wow. Right? Huh. The females, of course, they, they don't get to be celebrities as long because their looks don't hold out. And Hollywood, you know, is all about looks. And so much to their chagrin. So they end up in, a, you know, going to drugs and ODing from drugs and alcohol and, and suicide and whatnot. And, and it's really a horrible thing. But the answer, right, is, you know, I mean, Jesus is coming back, and that's the ultimate thing. Your symbolic immortality projects are not going to be very impressive at the judgment, especially when it turns out you were doing them for your own personal immortality. Yeah, you know, you're exactly right. You know, at many of the universities that I've been to, that are named after people or monuments that are named after people. Uh, you see young people over there putting a wig on the statue and taking these photos or dressing them up in toilet paper or whatever. And you're just kind of like, whoa, don't you know who that is? And they don't have a clue. Yeah, they yeah. don't have a clue. And and as you know, lately in the United States here anyway, I mean, mainland United States, I don't know. I know, I, know, I haven't forgotten that Hawaii is a part. Uh, but in the mainland United States, I don't know that they're doing it in Hawaii, man. They've been pulling statues down, yeah. actually knocking them down. They don't care. And that's the thing is you think, well, no, no, I'm going to live on through this. Oh, look, they put, they put a statue in my name. I talk about the Avery Fisher Hall. People go, well, who's Avery Fisher? And in D.C., there's the Avery Fisher Hall. It's a music, music hall. Well, he paid millions of dollars to have his name on that hall. Well, his family some years ago, the, the hall wanted to upgrade the acoustics, and so they paid the family $15 million to rename the hall, and now it's the David Geffen Hall because he gave a huge sum of money, and so they paid off the family of Fisher, Avery Fisher. Uh, Avery Fisher made speakers for those of you that are maybe a little older like I am. I remember Fisher speakers. But see, it doesn't last. It doesn't work. Nobody cares. And that's why it's so futile. And again, that's why people turn to drugs and alcohol and denial, distraction, and on and on and on, because they can't, they just can't live with the fact that they are going to die. Yeah. So ultimately, I mean, the 
atheist who doesn't believe in an afterlife, doesn't believe in a soul, you know, doesn't believe that there's something that exists beyond the death of the physical body. How do they handle their fear of death? That's an interesting topic, and it was fascinating to me because until I wrote the book, I'd never studied how atheists handle their fear of death. But I have a chapter in my book entitled Mortality Mitigation Projects, and Mortality mitigation projects or projects are, well, are attempts by atheists basically to say that, that, that death isn't so bad. And as I mentioned, Epicurus was, well, hey, we're going to be annihilated, big deal, it's not that big a deal. You know, I mean, we didn't care before we were born, why should we care after if we don't exist? The number one thing that atheists do, and it's the first thing I list in my book, on that section is they say, well, immortality would be boring. You wouldn't want to live for any, forever anyway. I, I just sit there and I go, guy, that's got to be the maybe the greatest example of sour grapes in the history, not just of men. It may be the greatest example of sour grapes in the history of created beings. Oh, I wouldn't want to live forever anyway. It would be boring. So see, death's not such a big thing. That's dumb. (laughs) That's really dumb. Don't, yeah, sure. I don't want to live forever anyway. Sure you do. Liar. You know, sometimes I'll say, well, you know, things wear out on earth and once in a, after a while you'd get tired of it. You know what? We always change our experiences. I'm, you know, one fellow, Stephen Fry, who was on Richard Dawkins' website, if you go to Richard Dawkins' website and look up Stephen Fry, he says, think about reading a good book or eating a delicious cake. There may be great pleasures, but one of the things that makes them pleasures is that they end. A book that went on forever and ever and a cake that you never stopped eating would both soon lose their appeal. What a straw man that is. Who would ever eat the same cake forever and ever? Who would? And books have to have a, uh, you know, a plot with a conclu- with a climax and a conclusion. I mean, that's the way they work. But see, what he's done is say, well, you wouldn't want to be eating the same chocolate cake forever and ever and ever and ever. No, of course I wouldn't want to do that. But I don't do that now. Why would I do that in eternal life with Jesus? I wouldn't be doing that. But see again. This is the kind of desperation that that atheists are clinging to. Here's one of my favorites is Einstein following Arthur Schopenhauer, said your, your individual, and, and Schopenhauer, I should add, is following Hinduism and Buddhism, your individual existence is a delusion. Einstein actually believed that if you had the mental capacity to understand this, you would know that your individual existence was a delusion. Notice the lengths that these people will go to to try to make death seem okay. It's crazy talk. I mean, really. And I think, and what an arrogantly stupid thing to say. And, you know, a lot of them, by the way, are are turning to drugs. It's interesting to me that this one fellow, he says, uh, Kagan at Duke University says, he says, thinking correct arguments about the nature of reality, he said, won't do it. Now, I was always interested in reading the last paragraph of all of these atheist books. Very fascinating. The last paragraph and paying particular attention to the last sentence of all these atheist books. And his, Shelley Kagan's last sentence of his book on the atheist guide to something or another, I don't remember what, he says, you know, first in the paragraph of four, he says, understanding the arguments about philosophy are not enough. He says, the only way to really deal with death, he says, is to take Prozac 
or whatever your other favorite serotonin reuptake inhibitor is, Prozac-like drugs, and keep taking them until they kick in. Notice that Tegan's, this atheist answer was use drugs, right? That's his answer because we're not going to be able to handle death, really. Sure, they can, we can come up with all these fine-sounding arguments, but what we're really going to need to be able to handle, handle death is just to take drugs and take them, as he put it, and I quote, until they kick in. Well, I mean, this is what atheists have, and, and this is all they have. Their cupboard, <laughs> I was going to say their cupboard is empty, but really their cupboard is full of drugs <laughs> because that's the only way they're going to be able to handle the fact that they're going to die. <laughs> well, you know, I talked to several atheists, and I asked them, why do you do, you know, a lot of them go around denouncing Christianity and trying to prove Christianity is false. And, you know, sometimes we sit around at Starbucks, and I ask them, why are you doing what you're doing? I mean, ultimately, if the universe is an accident, we're here by chance, everything ends in death. Ultimately, it's meaningless. Why are you doing what you're doing? And I think uh, the, either they were quoting Russell or someone else where they said, well, we want people to know what the truth is, that ultimately it's meaningless and everything ends in annihilation, to courageously face that truth and not live with some kind of delusion that you're living for forever, but to face that truth with great courage that we're all going into oblivion. But really, that answer doesn't make any sense, does it? Well, that answer doesn't help you face death except to say, and this is very big to them, to atheists, see, I'm really bold. I'm really tough. I can face the hard truths of reality. I'm not going to need to be believe that there's a God like you do. And again, all I can say to that is, well, I encourage people to look at my book, Immortal, is these atheists are going, this isn't working. Well, let me quote Einstein, and this is how desperate it gets. A human being is a part of a whole by us called the universe. He experiences himself, his thoughts and feelings as something separated from the rest, the kind of optical delusion of his consciousness. Trying to free oneself from this delusion is the one issue of true religion not to nourish the delusion, but to try to overcome it. It is in this way we reach the attainable measure of a peace of mind. In other words, so here you have the most famous scientist in the history of the world, I guess, maybe Newton's in there or something. But, I mean, here's the most famous scientist in the world, not a Christian going, that he, he can't just simply go, I'm just going to look at the stark reality of that I'm going to die. He has to come up with some sort of a belief system that comforts him about his death. And what's the belief system that he comes up with? My existence is a delusion. My individual existence is a delusion. Well, you know, don't tell me, Mr. Atheist, that you're all bold about it and everything, because guess what? I can tell you because I quote one atheist after another, including Sam Harris, who says, death is in some ways just unacceptable. And he's an atheist. And like I say, I quote other atheists who just say this, you know, I mean, it, it just doesn't really work. And right, they quote Russell, who says, we need to just face the hard reality that our, we're all going to just be a, ending up in a universe of debris and ruin. That's our future, and we need to do that. But then what he did is Russell did, and I talk about this, is he said, let your interests grow more and more impersonal. See, that is, again, Buddhist. That's also Buddhist, where we're going to not care about things so much. 
We're going to basically lose a sense of our own individualism. But notice the desperation here in this. And all I can say is, is a lot of these atheists are younger, are younger people, probably the ones you're talking to, and not those that are just on the verge of dying themselves. Because when you're young and you go, life's good, and you know I'm having a wonderful time, and they're not thinking about death. So I can face this in theory, but when death actually knocks on their door, they're not going to be that way. Yeah. Now, Clay, uh, many in our society, they've rejected the belief in an afterlife. And, and what is that doing to them? Wow. Trouble. Trouble, 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 trouble. Because, you know, it's interesting. This is where, like I say, this is back to where you end up having to do denial, distraction. You end up getting depressed. You use drugs uh, to cope with it because that's really what happens to people. That's really the only place they have to go is just, I'm going to just try to cope with the pain. You know, Paul, actually, when I said, you know, I said to everybody, drugs are the answer. Paul said that too. He said, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we will die. But here's the, here's the kicker, the caveat, if the dead are not raised to life. In other words, using drugs, as a lot of these atheists actually have have recommended, as some of them have recommended, using drugs and as a way a lot of people are turning to, if you're not a Christian, if you have no truth, I say blot, us, blot the pain. We've just got to blot the pain. You know, in fact, I wrote my book, kind of funny because you're in Hawaii, I wrote in my book, Pass the Maui Wowie. You know, I mean, we should all be just using <laughs> lots of drugs. And, and honestly, I really do think if I didn't believe that there was eternal life available in Jesus, I would be using drugs. I, I would be. I'd be. I'd be. Hey, let's get. Let's drink a lot. Let's use a lot of drugs. Let's watch a lot of TV. Get the biggest big screen TV we can, and drink our brains out until the end. I would be doing that. And that's exactly what Paul said. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we will die if the dead are not raised to life. But here's the good thing for your audience that are Christians anyway. You can live forever. And, and I mean really, honestly, truly, live forever. Yeah. Now, you know, speaking of Christians, but you also mentioned in your book that a, a lot of Christians fear death. Why is that? Yeah, well, I'll tell you, Pat, and I'm really glad you and I are talking about this, and, and that is because, unfortunately, a lot of Christians do not, most Christians, the overwhelming majority of Christians do not have a robust view of eternal life in Jesus. What they have is a very paltry view of eternal life in Jesus, and I think this is largely because Satan has done, he's done what I call extreme makeover metaphysical edition. What he's done is he's made heaven look like a place you wouldn't want to go. Uh, you're going to be sporting flightless wings, sitting on a cloud, strumming a harp and singing forever and ever and ever and ever. Look at one depiction of heaven after another after another. Uh, heaven is white. You won't know anybody. You're just going to be singing. And I've got news for you, everybody. Not one word of that is true. For instance, heaven is white. If anything, read Revelation, heaven is jewel-toned. If you're going to give it a color, if you are, heaven is jewel-toned, it's not white. We are not going to be singing nonstop. Nobody does that. Not even the seraphs do that. They, people misunderstand what the seraphs are doing. It's, it's true in Revelation. It says they never cease to sing. But if you read more of Revelation, you'll find that lots of times they're not just singing. They're doing other things and singing. By never cease means that just this is a regular part of their lives, not that they do it in a loop. And I could just go on and on, and I'm going to tell you a, a couple more things. Heaven is most often compared in Scripture, Old and New Testaments, to a banquet than any other thing, and most people like to eat. The Scripture says in Isaiah that we're going to eat 
marbled meat and aged wine. That's what it says in Isaiah. But our occupation is not going to be singing. It's going to be reigning with Christ. But because the devil has done, as I said, what I call extreme makeover metaphysical edition, he's made heaven look like a place you don't want to go. And I don't know, you can bleep this, what I'm about to say if you want to, but I, uh, or edit this out, but I'm going to tell you, uh, I just want your audience to think through something. This is, and I'm not trying to be lascivious here, but it was the Lord who created orgasms, just the thought. By that, I'm not, like I said, I'm not trying to be lascivious here, but I'm trying to point out that God is pro-pleasure. He's not against pleasure. God created the pleasure of food. He created the pleasure of drink. He's not against pleasure. He's not. And in fact, David says in the Psalms, in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We should expect heaven to be a pleasurable place that we are going to find enjoyment. Now, I'm not saying there's going to be sex in heaven. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that the creator of sexual pleasure is going to be there in heaven. And he's certainly not going to go, you know what, you may have had fun on earth, but you're not going to have any fun here. So that's one of the troubles, uh, Pat. The other trouble is, frankly, a lot of people, a lot of Christians are in love with this present world. And because they're in love with this present world, they're not in love with the Father. And the scripture warns, do not love the world or the things of the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father will not be in him. And so we need to exhort Christians to not be careful not to love this present world, which is passing away, but to make sure we're in love with it. Jesus. And not only that, one more thing. For instance, First uh, Peter one thirteen says, being self-controlled and sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, that's not three commands. That's one command. It's being self-controlled and sober-minded so that you can set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. You see, that we're supposed to be focused on the glory that's going to be brought to us when Jesus appears. And that's where we need to have our hope, and that's where we need to have our joy. But sadly, a lot of Christians are in love with this world, and they bought into Satan's lies about heaven, and so they don't really want to go there anyway. Yeah. Well, as we bring this show to a conclusion, Clayton, summarize for us then, what is the Christian's answer to the fear of death? The Christian's answer to the fear of death is to, as I've said several times, I'll say it again, have a robust view of eternal life in Jesus. You need to have a robust view of eternal life in Jesus. You need to sit there and go, heaven's going to be great, and that's where I'm going. I had a young, uh, an undergrad come up to me one day and fight back tears as she was confessed to me she was afraid she didn't want to go to heaven. We need to study heaven. We need to meditate on it. My book, the last two chapters of my book, Immortal, are on heaven. The last three chapters of my book, Why Does God Allow Evil, are on heaven and on our eternal glory that awaits us. We need to have a robust view of that. So first thing we need to do is not love this present world. But you can't do that. You're going to be loving something. You're either going to be loving God or you're going to be loving, you're either going to be lusting after God and his kingdom, or you're going to be lusting after people, possessions, positions, or pleasures. But you are going to be lusting after something. And what we need to do is make sure we're not lusting after this present world, but instead 
We're lusting after God and his kingdom. Uh, and if you do that, if you're in love with that, and the scripture says, like I say, First Peter 1.13, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. If you do that, you're going to have more joy in life. You're going to have more peace in life. You're not going to be worried about all the economic and, and uh, you know, uh, turmoils and all of the political turmoils that are going on. Because what? You're going to be in heaven forever with Jesus. And that's where we need to focus our lives. Fantastic. You've been listening to our interview with Dr. Clay Jones, the author of this great book that's just come out, Immortal, How the Fear of Death Drives Us and What We Can Do About It. Well, Clay, you also have a website. If people want more information on you and the things that you're writing about, because uh, you write Thank about you on that. a whole host of things, I where, do. where can they get information? Clay jones.net what could be simpler what could be more interesting <laughs> but uh clay jones.net that's simple go there and and uh, you can also find me on facebook or me we i'm also on me we because i realize that facebook's a little weird right now <laughs> but um, you know find me and uh yeah but clay jones.net very simple yes you'll find a lot of articles there not only on philosophy theology apologetics uh ethics and issues like this. It's a great website. I encourage you to go there. Well, so, it's, so we've been talking with Dr. Clay Jones and the book that he wrote, Immortal, How Fear of Death Drives Us and What We Can Do About It. So Clay, thanks for being with us here on Evidence and Answers. Thank you. It's been my pleasure, Pat. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 4830586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. <laughs>